Hi, this is Dr. MJ coming to you from beautiful Boston, Massachusetts. This is the Women in Dentistry podcast where we feature women in dentistry making waves and leading the industry through the next decade. I am your host, Dr. Mary Jane Hanlon, a former dental assistant, dental hygienist, and now dentist. Dr. Janice Moriarty is a 1994 graduate of Tufts University School of Dental Medicine and completed her GPR at Berkshire Medical Center in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Aspiring to be a dentist since she got her braces on, Janice has done everything in dentistry from being an on-the-job trained assistant to a solo practitioner and most things in between. She has been practicing in Winchester, Mass. for the past 25 years. For about the same amount of time, she has volunteered in organized dentistry serving at the district, state, and national levels. She has just completed her term as president of the Massachusetts Dental Society, the last third of which was spent navigating the coronavirus pandemic. She completed the American Dental Association Institute for Diversity and Leadership in 2018 and also served as secretary treasurer of the ADA First District Trustee from 2015 to 2019. In 2020, she starts her four-year term as the first district representative to the ADA Council on Membership. Janice is the mom of a 13-year-old son and five cats and loves to spend time traveling or outside gardening or walking in the woods. Please welcome Dr. Janice Moriarty. So first thing I'd like to do is start out talking a little bit about your story and how you ended up getting into dentistry. You know, I think that we all enter the field so many different ways, but I want to just know what your story is and then we'll start with some other questions. Yeah, sure. So my story, I know, MJ, from having talked to you personally before that we have a bit of a similarity, but my basic story is when I got my braces put on at age whatever, 11 or 12, I had a blast at the orthodontist office and I came out of there saying to everybody that would listen, I'm going to be a dentist or actually I'm going to be an orthodontist. And I think no one listened to me, to be honest with you, except for my own dentist who, you know, when he came in to clean my teeth, I say, hey, I'm going to be a dentist. And fast forward to when I was 15, and he had remembered that, and he called me up, and he gave me an after-school job. So from the time I was in the 10th grade, and, you know, 15 years old, I think, I was working in a dental office after school. And that was my kind of exposure to the field. For better or for worse, I had blinders on the entire time and never gave any other career a thought except for dentistry. So I continued, you know, working with him here and there after school, throughout high school, throughout college, throughout dental school on Saturdays, the same guy. And, you know, eventually was his associate down the road. And that is who I met Kathy O'Loughlin through, whose practice I eventually bought. So it was just a, a giant like story of coincidences and who introduces you to who, but literally, You know, I know one of the questions you talked about asking is what would you tell your younger self if it weren't for dentistry? Like if I got my arms cut off today, I don't know what I would do for a profession because I was absolutely blinders on dental school, dentistry, end of story. Isn't that amazing? Which may or may not be the best thing, to be honest with you. I agree. I agree. But here's the thing for us, you know, because we do share that piece of our story that is very similar for us. It was just, that was the only option. We didn't think about anything else. At least I didn't think about anything else either. No, 
And even in undergrad, they're like, what are you going to major in? I'm like, I don't know. I just, I'm going to dental school. So <laughs> I changed my major about every year until I, you know, just got into dental school. So that's great. How did you meet Kathy from him? And how come you didn't buy his practice? So this gentleman who graduated in 1962 from Tufts Dental School and was my family dentist, you know, graduated with one female in his class. So it was the era, there was just one woman in his class. And as he progressed in practice, he got onto the board of a major dental insurance company in Massachusetts. And Kathy was on the board as well. So he met her on the board and he literally would come back and say, I've met a lady dentist that I have to tell you about. She's wonderful. And he'd always talk about the lady dentist and the lady dentist turned out to be Kathy O'Loughlin. When I went to Tufts, I had a job in the alumni relations department and who amazingly was the president of the Tufts Dental Alumni Association, Kathy O'Loughlin. So here I was and I'm like, hey, I know about you from Fred White on the Delta board and she really respected him. He really respected her. So they were two big role models. And actually, when I graduated, I worked for both of them as an associate simultaneously. I did not know that piece of the story. That's that's amazing. Good for you. Yeah. So I started out with both of them part time and eventually we were a little busier with Kathy and Medford. So at some point I gave up the South Shore practice and then I came on as her associate, her partner. And then when she left, I, I you know, I still have the practice by myself. Which is awesome. Which is awesome. A great practice too. a great practice. So that leads me to ask you some questions about practicing. You know, what was it like when you first joined as an associate? I know Kathy talks a lot about contract negotiations. Did you feel like you needed to negotiate with her? Did you feel like she was, you know, obviously fair from the beginning? Like, I think about this from my students' perspective. You know, we have a class, you know, graduating fairly soon. And I just want to make sure that we illuminate for them some of the things that they should be thinking about when they take an associate position. You know, what are the telltale signs to get out of town or take the leap and and join the practice? Right. So now keep in mind, this was in the mid 90s. So this was a long time ago. Keep in mind also, I'm not really that into a lot of little details. So Basically, both of these people told me they were going to hire me. Okay, this is literally senior year in dental school. At some point along the way, Kathy said to me, well, you have to do a residency. Now, don't ask me where my head had been because I'm just floating along in Tufts doing my requirements. I'm like, a residency? I have no clue. Like, really? She goes, I did one. I recommend you do one. So I scrambled to apply and I wound up, you know, getting into a GPR that was great in Western Massachusetts Berkshire Medical Center. Did that. But I always knew that I had these two jobs waiting for me. Dr. White down on the South Shore had never had an associate. I was his first. He had no idea how to write a contract or or hire anybody. Kathy had had multiple associates in the past. So he modeled everything from her. And yeah, it was a very basic contract back in the day. I didn't question, fully admit, did not negotiate anything, worked on a percentage of production. That's how I still pay my associate on a percentage of production. So I thought it was fair and it was equitable to me. And I then, you know, treated my future associates in the same fashion. Isn't that amazing? Because quite honestly, in today's market, associates are always paid on collection and not on production. I also 
started my career being paid on production and not on collection. I did not have the same positive result in that, you know, a year into my contract, they negotiated 10% lower, even though I had an existing contract. They didn't negotiate at all, actually. They just told me I was getting a 10% cut on my, my pay. And I was willing to do that if I had been able to buy into the practice, but he refused to even, you know, consider that. So for me, it wasn't, it wasn't a good a contract at that time because I didn't have the, it's not, it wasn't a lack of confidence. I think it was more of a lack of understanding contract law. And I didn't want to hire an attorney because I was a young dentist with a lot of debt and didn't want to spend anything extra on anything like that. I just decided to walk away and, and stop my own practice. So interesting uh -huh. how that, you know, plays out for us differently in, in different regards. And of course, mine is 20, over 20 years ago also. But I do think that our younger colleagues are going to be heading into this. And I do think that it's really critically important that they negotiate on their own behalf, that they shouldn't just take exactly what they're given. Exactly. And in even getting paid on production, you know, how do you get a quote unquote raise? You need to know that fees will be going up and you need to know that the appointments and the patients will be divided, you know, equally. That would be one thing I would say, you know, even years after we started practicing, some of my classmates were in situations where the owner dentist was doing all the big crown and bridge and they were doing the little scut work. So I've never run my, my practice like that. I was never treated like that. So I, I had luckily very good mentors and, and great. I've only worked in two practices my whole life. The one I still own and the other one that I was an associate with. Perfect. That's amazing. That's amazing. Any advice for people that are looking for associates, for example, existing practice owners that are thinking about taking on associates for the first time? I know that, you know, now may not be the time, but it may have been that pre-COVID-19 that the practice owner was thinking about adding an associate. I know that you have struggled with, you know, great associates and not so great associates. Any advice you can give your colleagues? I think that you just really have to not research, but think about your gut feeling when you interview somebody and it shouldn't necessarily just be one interview, you know, and it's hard because we can't really see their work. I mean, and I've always been not hands off, I don't think, but I don't want to be, you know, standing right over these poor, you know, relatively new grads, just um, watching them like we were in school. I try to give them their their space and all of that. And so it's tough, you know, you don't really necessarily see what's happening. You hear what the patients are saying and all of that. The staff, I think at the front desk is always very good at picking up on the patient vibes and how things are going. But it's often not until, you know, a six month recall that you say, oh, that's a lovely uh, whatever that they just did. So it's a bit of a leap of faith, you know, but I have had relatively great experiences for the most part, but it's a big thing. And a lot of people I know just don't feel like they can give up the control to have an associate. And I think if you know in your heart of hearts, that's how you are, then you shouldn't have one. There's no need on making yourself miserable or someone else miserable. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to something fun. So tell us something interesting that people might not know about you. Well, lots of interesting things. But when you asked, you know, something that might be surprising about me, I do profess to be a single mom. And 
that might lead people to think that I, you know, have been divorced, but actually I, I am not a divorced woman. I am a widowed woman and I've been widowed for, uh, oh, I don't know, more than 15 years. I lose track now. So I have been by myself and luckily my other life in dentistry has kept me quite occupied and busy and all of that. But as the biological clock was ticking at some point, I said, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm still a widow and I think I'd like to be a parent. So I decided to delve into adoption as a single person. And you know some of this story, but you might not know the reason that I traveled all the way to Siberia three times to get my son Brendan was because in the U.S. as a single person, they were telling me if I wanted an infant that I'd probably waiting, be waiting forever. And I didn't really want to give up the chance to get a, a young child, as young as possible. So they said, if, if you're looking for an infant, consider going to another country. And then, you know, who would know this, but there are very strict laws on what countries you can and can't go to. And there were not a lot that you could go to as a single woman, but there were some. So I uh, eventually chose uh, Russia and went there 12 years ago now. Um, and I had to make three trips. So you want to talk about a leap of faith. Mm. You know, I often likened the application that I had to fill out to being worse than you know buying into a dental practice because the thing was about the size of an old-fashioned Sears catalog. You know, my cat had to have a letter of uh, you know uh, clearance from the veterinarian and all this stuff. But at that point, I just said, if I asked why, you know, any times the answer would be, you don't need to know. Just go with it or don't go with it. And I chose to go with it. And again, had a a wonderful experience. And I've been a mom for 12 years now. To my uh, now we're getting into the teenage years, so it, you know, ask me in another six months how that is. But yeah, so that's been my story of how I came to be a mom to Brendan, and it's been absolutely wonderful. And I have counseled some friends on how to do the same down the road. And um, something that I would absolutely recommend, you know, whether you're single or not single, if you're looking to have a kid and things just aren't working biologically the way you want them to, there certainly is a very sound option in adoption. You know, it's such an inspiring story to, and having lived through a piece of that and seen Brendan grow through these years, it's just an amazing, amazing accomplishment. And what you do day to day and how you balance your life is beyond (laughs) understanding. So talk a little bit about that because, you know, I know there's so many young women, both you know, hygienists, assistants, dentists that are managing and to try and balance single motherhood and working and living their life. And you are in such a high leadership role. That's amazing that you can balance all of that on top of just also being a single mom and a a practice owner. It can be done. You know, for me, I was already on the path to leadership. I was already into some fairly high level leadership at the state level for our society. As a matter of fact, the year that Brendan came, I think was when I was general chair of Yankee Dental. So, you know, I knew no different because I was already in it. If I, you know, if I had to get into the leadership pathway as a mom of a two-year-old, I probably would have delayed that for a while, but I was already in. So I, I just kept on going. And uh, it takes a lot of coordination and a lot of people. I mean, I might not be too detailed in some things, but planning, daycare, you know, childcare, and all of that takes quite a bit. But I 
luckily he's a great guy, a great kid, and I had lists of people waiting to babysit him for me. So it was good. In this day and age, as we're on Zoom now, you know, the more we can do remotely, the easier it is for, for parents in general. So this helps for sure. I do know that that having lots of family around having a child going through dental school, you just have to do it. You have to have lots of support. Absolutely. Yeah, lots of support. And, uh, you know, he's been to more ADA meetings than uh, he can count, but we made it educational and fun. And again, I, I had great friends that were willing to come to the meetings with me and, you know, we would have dinner together and we'd do as much fun stuff as we could. But when I was at the meetings, I had someone with me to take care of him. So, which is great. Yeah, worked out great. Now, what is the single best piece of advice you have ever gotten? Who gave it to you and what was it? Um, you know, that is one that really kind of stumped me. Hmm. I've gotten great advice. I, I would say I've gotten more good advice than bad advice. I think, you know, just take things slow and don't jump to conclusions and just stop and think. Um, and I don't even know really probably who told me that, but, you know, don't jump the gun and practice the pause and practice the pause. I really like that. Think about, you know, what you want to say before you say it. And there's no harm in that. And you come out, you know, better on the other side, typically. So wholeheartedly agree. Is there anyone in dentistry who really has inspired you to do what you're doing other than that orthodontist visit that first day? A lot of people, you know, I mean, my two big mentors, as I mentioned, that I worked for, for sure, and both very different practice styles and, and everything. But I think I got very good roots in practice, in practicing, I won't even say practice management, just good, sound, ethical dentistry. That was good. And as we go along in dentistry, we know so many great people that it's, it's really, really hard to say. I was thinking about Helen Santis when I read this question. Uh, an oral pathology professor that we both had at Tufts, who was, again, um, the only woman in her class when she graduated in, you know, the 60s, and then one of very few female faculty back in the day, and just stuck it out, and she did what she needed to do, and I'm sure it wasn't always easy for her, but she persevered and, and spent her, almost her whole career with us at Tufts, and uh, she's very, you know, much a mentor of mine, not with us anymore, unfortunately, but there are so many people, Kathy Hayes, Dr. Gonda, you know, these are people that we all know that just are the consummate professionals for us, Mort Rosenberg, I'll throw a guy in there. I mean, he's one of my favorites. Teresa Gonzalez is absolutely amazing from ACD. Many, many people. And I think you just have to be open to gleaning as many little nuggets from everybody and yourself, MJ. I mean, you've, you've done amazing. So, you know, we can all learn from each other for sure. Well, that's so true. And I think that one of the things that I want younger colleagues to know, whether they're whatever profession they're in, hygiene, assisting, is to seek out people that might be able to help them and, and just ask for help. Because I think that way too many people just don't ask the question. And I think we're more than willing to support and mentor and you know, reach a hand back and bring people along with us along the ride, because certainly going up the ranks, no matter what it is, no matter whether it's your profession or, you know, a personal passion of yours, you don't want to do it by yourself. You know, it's what's fun in that. Absolutely. And, you know, the more the merrier and, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So you, you need to be open to a little criticism, I would say for sure. 
as well. Not criticism, constructive criticism. Mm -hmm. And guidance, right? And guidance. You know, if you look at it as guidance and not criticism, you know, if you need something to be fixed, someone's willing to tell you how to fix it, you should listen. Mm. You know, and then you, you filter it your own way. And if you decide it's the right advice for you, you take it. Absolutely. Anybody in your life outside of dentistry that's made a big impact on your life? Outside of dentistry, you know, my whole life is pretty much dentistry, which is kind of sad to say. You know, a lot of people, but probably nobody that I could really pinpoint right now. Okay. So ever have an aha moment that you recognize that you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing? I don't know about exactly what I'm supposed to be doing, but you know, my path to being president of the Dental Society was one I absolutely never thought I would be on or this position I would be in, in that, you know, I think some people are always looking at that X level. And I know plenty of people right now that have their eyes on, you know, presidency of national organizations when they're just, you know, at the entry level. And I really wasn't that person. I was just going along. I was much more involved, you know, in the Yankee side of our dental society, the, the meeting side. and. Uh, you know, happened to be somehow, you know, identified by Alan Durkazarian as someone that could lead the, our first women's leadership task force. And that's how I got into the more political side and just happened to be in the right place at the right time when a trusteeship, you know, became available. And the rest kind of was history. But at some point, I did get to a point where I either had to continue up to be, you know, become president or disappear into the sunset. And I really did stop and say to myself, you know, for, for women in dentistry, you know, I've come this far, I should just continue on and, and go the rest of the way. I agree with you wholeheartedly. So I did that. And, you know, there have been some people that said, well, you know, well, why'd you do that? And what about this? And what about that? And then you question yourself, you know, right? Am I worthy of this position? Do I have what it takes? But I think that everybody has their own leadership style. And each president is different than the one before. I would absolutely advocate that there are massive differences between male and female leadership styles. I can see that for sure. But, um, you know, I think that I've done all right. And I think that I've realized that I'm okay at conflict resolution. You just got to go in and be strong and, and kind of let both sides speak their mind and, and try to come to a reasonable conclusion. And I think I've done okay. So I think. You know, I, I think I've surprised myself a little bit because I think, you know, I've stayed ahead of the curve so far. So you have done an outstanding job to be thrown into the presidency, not even expecting this curveball of COVID-19 and doing what you have been able to do over the last month, two months in getting us prepared and having all of this work being done by different subcommittees and getting information out to our members as quickly as you have with the staff has been absolutely amazing. I mean, I, for people that are out there that don't understand the value of organized dentistry and the leadership that, that organized dentistry performs, it's beyond me at this point because the amount of information that has been coming out both from the ADA level and the Mass Dental Society level has been astounding. It has been. And luckily, you know, we're, we're so fortunate to have an amazing staff at Mass Dental. We also just switched executive directors. So there's another thing that's been interesting. And we're blessed to have somebody 
that just came in feet to the fire and able to um, do seamless transition. So it's been really, really good. But touching upon organized dentistry, I mean, you know, that would be one key piece of advice to any younger member. It is an expense, but it is an expense that pays in, in spades. And you think about every time I have a patient that says, oh, you know, I'm moving to wherever, California, what part? I mean, we know so many people through our experiences at the ADA that there's almost nowhere that someone can go that we can't find a dentist that we at least have a few degrees of separation from. So it's really been uh, wonderful. I think you have to network. You know, if private practices are going to become a thing of the past, I hope they're not. But, you know, sometimes if you are a sole practitioner, you've got to get out and talk to other dentists. You just can't talk to yourself. And uh, really pays to know the people in your community and the other the other docs and the other specialists, obviously. So how did you get involved in organized dentistry? What was the impetus for you to do so? Was it Kathy's or? Both of my mentors were very involved in different levels, but my hometown dentist that I worked for when I was you know younger went to literally every district meeting his whole career. You know, it's just what you did. And remember, generations were different back then. And, and you know, the baby boomers were big into, you know, clubs and meetings and meetings just to have meetings. But, um, you know, so I, I was always sort of uh, mentored to be involved at the district level. And for quite a while, it was just at the district level. And I used to volunteer a little bit here and there for Yankee. And then at some point, uh, you know, someone tapped me on the shoulder and just said, hey, you want to be on whatever committee? And uh, Pretty much Kathy O'Loughlin was putting me on whatever committee she was on, and, and then it just took off from there. I think that's the thing that, you know, you don't have to start off at some very time-consuming position. You can start off with a very simple little task. And I think with millennials, we know that they like to do, you know, task-oriented, finite amounts of work. And I think we're trying to shift our, you know, inner workings of the Dental Society to be appreciative of that. And, uh, you know, committee work, if it can be done remotely, is great, saves people time getting out to Southborough. You know, it's much more user friendly. Again, I, you know, my son can be doing his homework, I can be at a meeting, but I'm still at the house. So it's getting easier and easier, but it's been good. And I hope that, you know, when I'm finished being president of the Dental Society, I stay very active in other ways. I mean, there's plenty of things to do. There sure is. There sure is. What was it like for you to go to your first meeting being one of very few women that were attending at the time? Because I know that population was very minor way back when you graduated in the 90s. Sometimes not the most welcoming, to be honest with you, just because people had their own little cliques at our district. But over time, I think it got better. And again, we used to band together and a few of us would go together. And then we get to meet people that way. But it, it was never really bad. But I think that experience to me made me want to have our districts be very embracing of new members. And it, it can be hard. I mean, I think a lot of dentists are introverts, really. You know, so for someone to just jump into a, a meeting of 50 or 60 people and literally go in not knowing anybody, that can be a difficult situation. So I think our leaders and I think our district chairs do a good job of of looking out for new people and trying to make them feel welcome from the beginning. Any advice for some young graduates on how to get involved? I think just start by going to a meeting and that would be step one. And 
meet a couple of people and keep going. Now our district meetings are different in different districts. I do understand that some have all day CE, some have just business meetings, but give it a try and each one is different and ask, you know, and if you're not asked, raise your hand and say you're willing to do something. And you know, you can always start out with a very menial position. Read the websites on districts, on the Mass Dental website, there's always volunteer opportunities there. And with us, Yankee Dental, many people start out as a room coordinator or a presiding chair and do speaker introductions, and that's what they do. Some people come every year just to our Beacon Hill Day and do lobbying, and that's what they do. So there's kind of a niche for, for all interests, I think. Or get involved with the study club. It doesn't all have to be organized dentistry, but I think just to get out into groups of like-minded people is very good. You know, uh, service organizations, I think they still exist. Rotary and Kiwanis and all of those, those are really good ways to actually broaden your colleague's circle and not keep it all in dentistry. And that is some advice or criticism I've, I've had from some friends over the years that are in business is that, you know, I'm very insulated and just dental. And that mm -hmm. is true. You know, there's sure. not a not a ton of opportunity to do otherwise, but I know back 20 years ago with Rotary in, in the town where I practiced, at that time there could only be one dentist and um, I was not that dentist. So, you know, but I think they've opened that up now and it's gotten better, but things like that are great ways to network. I think it's all about just knowing people and the friendships you make and the connections you have are what gets you through. So true. I, I think the single best thing I ever did was become involved uh, as a volunteer for my daughter's skating organization and went on to be president, I think, I think before I left it was 12 years. And the experience was incredible. It taught me a lot about budgeting and finance and politics and how meetings are run, efficient meetings versus really inefficient meetings and how you have to manage those as a, a leader in an organization. And I think that just because of my associations there, my practice grew leaps and bounds just because of the connection in the community. Everybody knew who I was, which was really good. So good piece of advice to give people. Is there an obstacle that you have had in your career that you've overcome that you're really proud of? I'm really not in love with public speaking, to be honest with you but you're so good at it. I don't think I'm great at it, but I do it. And it's funny that, you know, it's just when you reserve yourself and you just say, I've got to get up and I've got to do this speech, you just do it. So I don't know if that's age or if it's, you know, wisdom or if it's stupidity, but whatever it is, you know, so I'm, I'm happy that I, I don't make a complete idiot of myself up there most of the time. And hopefully I don't, but that, that was the thing I, I did, uh, I joined Toastmasters, but my chapter dissolved, so I need to find a new one. But things like that, you know, I did need to tackle that, not really fear, but it just wasn't something I, I felt super comfortable to do. So, And I don't have to do it very often. You know, as a dentist in private practice, you may never have to do public speaking, but as an officer in a, a big organization, obviously, at some point it happens. So I did use that to try to improve. I sincerely appreciate that because I do think that most of us, I would say 99.9% .9 of the population struggle with speaking in front of people. And the only thing that I have 
found that really makes a difference is just doing it, you know, feel the fear and do it anyway. Right. And exactly. It's never easy the first couple of times, maybe first hundred times, but after that, it does get easier. The nerves, I don't think ever go away. Even for professional speakers, I think that anxiety in the pit of your stomach is just, you know, a warning sign the body gives you that says, okay, we're going to do something important here and let's get ready. Yep. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about, you know, when you reflect back on your past, have you always been confident or has that been an attribute that you've grown into as you've gone through the profession? You know, have you been confident your entire life? Because to me, you're an extremely confident woman. I guess that I probably have been, but, you know, I have had plenty of people tell me, well, do you even know what you're, what you're here for? Because we didn't hear you talk for quite a few years. I didn't used to say a whole bunch in board meetings in the early days, because that was balanced by the people that did all the talking and, and never stopped. So I, I hope that you know, when I do say things, and obviously I say a lot more now as, as a leader, but, you know, I don't like to talk just for the sake of talking. And I like to say things that are meaningful. And, you know, so I guess, yeah, I guess I have been confident, hopefully not overly so, but it never seems to have been anything that I really thought about. So as you know, many young women lack a lot of confidence. And I think that that's the number one thing that female students, especially Male students would never ask this question, but female students have asked me on several occasions is, Dr. Hanlon, how did you become so confident in what you're doing? And that has not always been the case. You know, I didn't apply to dental school right after college because I lacked the confidence in my ability to do so. So I went to hygiene school first. And, you know, five years after, you know, getting married, I just decided that I had this dream. I gave it up and I don't know why I gave it up, but confidence seems to be the underlying reason why I, I wasn't a dentist by that point. So that's great because I think that our environment really helps to shape that person we are and whether we have confidence or not, you know, one person saying something silly could affect us for the rest of our lives. And it's not that that person, what that person is saying is actually true. That could be false, you know, but for whatever reason, we believe them, which is too I bad. do think, um, you know, I mean, who loves going to the dentist really, right? right? So we are used to, you know, people not loving, it's not us personally, but what we do. And I think it gives you a bit of a thicker skin. So I do think as the years have gone by, you know, you can't let every little complaint that somebody might make take you down. You just have to stick to your guns and or take take criticism and, and take it constructively and, and think about it. And if you feel it's justified, make a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. What's your favorite way to relieve stress, Janice? You know, there's another one. And I love to walk on the beach. So if I have crazy stuff going on, and just everything is all balled up. The best thing for me is to just get to the water and just hang out there by the ocean. Not a lake, it's got to be the ocean. But that's probably the biggest and best thing for me. That I couldn't agree more. The smell of the ocean can just bring me down like five notches. Absolutely. Yep. And I could walk for hours. Yep. Any personal mantra or motto that you live by every day? You know, I was thinking about that question when you sent your list and 
really a couple of things. And one I tell my son all the time is just, we don't quit. So, you know, if he says, I can't do that, I can't figure it out. I'm like, no, no, you find a way, find a way. Uh, one thing, my son does have a couple of learning disabilities. So he struggles a ton in certain subjects in school and he excels in others. But, you know, I'm like, you, you just can't give up. If you can't figure it out, you don't pack up and go home. You, you make it work. Mm -hmm. So I think that, and I think I am pretty persistent. I hate people who tell me no, I really do. Now I might just, you know, skirt around it and try to approach the situation from another angle, but yeah, don't give up. Just don't give up. You know, if either one of us had given up, we wouldn't be sitting here talking to each other right now. So. So true. I couldn't agree more. Any guilty pleasure or secret dream that you have that you want to share? Oh gosh. I couldn't even figure that one out. I retire and get a dog. How about that? I, I would like to get a dog. Never have had one, but also don't think my hours working right now are conducive to a dog. So when I, uh, I don't know, we'll see, but that would be one. Get a big slothy dog. St. Bernard? Actually a Burmese mountain dog is what I have my eye on. Yeah. Very good. But everybody says they don't live very long. That's the thing that I think is so sad. I mean, some of my cats, you know, I've had cats that have been 18, 19 years old. And they say you're lucky if these big dogs live to 10. This is horrible. It's so true. They, uh, so I had a St. Bernard growing up. I don't know if you know that. No. Yeah, I had a St. Bernard. And my dad was a big St. Bernard fan. Other than the slobber that was just everywhere. Yeah. He was a great dog, but he did not live long. In fact, yeah, I think that he was just before his 10th birthday. Apparently, they have small hearts for their big bodies, and so oh. they don't last very long. Yeah. But it was a great experience. Yeah. I was really wishing almost through this pandemic I had a puppy because we've been home. When are we ever home? I know. You know? You know, my daughter was saying the same thing about toilet training her son. Yes. He's getting close to two, and he understands, and he's pointing to the toilet so he knows what needs to happen. She hasn't gotten there yet, but... It is a good time for doing a couple of those things. Cheerios, you know, that's what they say. Stick them in there and have me aim at them. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I'll have to share that tip with her. There you go. When you're having a bad day, what do you do to turn around your emotions? Is there anything in particular that you do? Like I, I've seen firsthand people, you know, come at you and, mm -hmm. you know, you're in a leadership role and you're in a significant position. You maintain your composure, which is admirable, but sometimes I think that it can affect us personally. And how do you how do you prevent that from happening if there's anything, or are you able to keep it separate? Sometimes it takes a while. I will be honest. There a few times it does take a while, but you know, there's some saying I see sometimes. It says something like, "So far, you've survived 100% of your worst days, so you're going to be okay." I mean that. Really what you need to, to think about. You know, you can't hold grudges against people forever, or if you do, you're not going to get very far. I mean, I think that's one of the things that I've learned in leadership is, you know, we can agree to disagree, and you have to rise above that and move on, and, and usually it works okay. That's great. That's great. So one final question. Any piece of advice that you would give a young woman starting out today in whatever area of dentistry they are going into? I think it would be to sign up as an organized dentistry member, obviously. And actually, that would be the biggest piece of advice. And, and look out for yourself. 
I mean, that would be another one. If you are in a position of employment that you just know is not working well, nothing needs to be forever. You know, I have seen people very unhappy in their, in their workplaces and yet unwilling to make a change. So stand up for yourself for sure. Have friends that you can network with. And I think organized dentistry gives you tools for all of that, honestly. And, you know, if a situation is bad, then nothing is forever. Move on to the next one. I agree. I agree. Janice, it has been absolutely awesome spending the afternoon with you and speaking to you about a couple of things. So I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart how much I appreciate your time because I know how busy you are. Best of luck with this. This is exciting. So I'll have to watch some of these and um, I hope it takes off and I think it will. I don't know why it wouldn't. So, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for listening to the Women in Dentistry podcast with Dr. MJ Hanlon. If you like our show and want to know more about us, check out our website, thewomenindentistry.com, or please leave us a review on iTunes. Join us for our next episode as we bring you another amazing woman leading the way for the next generation.